everybody, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. This is your host, April Hanna. We have some announcements today before we get into our show, and we're going to be speaking with William Buhlman. We're really excited to have him back, but just want to let you know of some events that we have coming up. October 18th, we're going to be traveling out to Austin, Texas, and these are some movie screenings of the Path Evolution. We're starting to round out our tour, but we are going to be at the Movie House and Eatery in Austin, Texas on October 18th at 7 p.m., and this is being sponsored by INAX. They do have a meetup group where they're selling tickets, so if you'd like to search meetup.com and purchase your tickets online through them, that would be great. This is pretty much kind of like a small private screening. I believe that there's about 50 seats available, so they are going quickly. If you need more information about that, you can also email me at april at thepathseries.com. And then we're really excited to take the Path Evolution out to California on October 28th. We're going to be showing the film at the Hilton Garden Inn in Redondo Beach, California. And that event is going to be starting at 7 p.m. And this is in conjunction with MBTLA. So what is MBTLA? For those of you who don't know, it's My Big Toe Events with Tom Campbell. And those of you who are familiar with our films, you know that he has been featured. And basically, it's his theory of everything. So Tom is going to be in L.A. for two days. And the tickets are $399. And basically, what you are purchasing is a meet and greet on a Friday evening with Tom before our screening. And then he has a two-day program Saturday and Sunday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. On Saturday evening, he has an experiential workshop, which sounds really, really cool. And he's going to be covering out-of-body experiences, healing, and remote viewing. And this is also going to include a short talk on the benefits of point consciousness meditation and a key to increasing focus and accessing alter states of awareness. So Tom's going to teach us some of what he has learned. What's also included is a complimentary buffet lunch on Saturday and Sunday a ton of Q&A time with Tom, and you'll also get a discounted room rate at the Hilton Garden Inn if you plan on staying, if you're coming from out of town. So if you'd like to register for this event, go to mbtla.com. Anyone who does attend Tom's workshop actually gets a 50% off discounted ticket to the Path Evolution and it only costs you 10 bucks. So we're really excited to head out there. And another announcement that we have, for those of you who are Amazon Prime members, the Path Evolution is now available to view for free through your Prime membership. So we'd like you guys to head on over there and check it out if you haven't purchased the DVD yet. So we're going to get ready to speak with William in just a moment here, but he was really gracious to donate some books. Uh, one of his first books, Adventures Beyond the Body, How to Experience Out-of-Body Travel, um, to us to give away to some of our listeners. So we have a couple of things happening here. One, anybody that purchases the Path Evolution DVD will receive this free book with your purchase, and there is a limited quantity, so first come, first serve. And then the other thing that we would like to do is we'd like to hear from our listeners. We wanted to pick three people who write into our show and let us know how our films and William Buhlman's work has impacted their life, and we'd like to hear your stories. And then if you don't mind, we'd actually like to bring you onto the podcast to interview you so you can just let the world know how the films and William work has affected your life. So if you're interested in coming on to our show, and I think we're going to call it Friday with Friends, please email me directly at april at thepastseries.com, share your story.
story with me. And if it's a great one and it's really inspirational and really moves me to want to bring you on our podcast, then you will be chosen. So there will be three lucky winners and you will also receive a free copy of William's book, Adventures Beyond the Body. And without further ado, we would like to welcome back William Buhlman to the Path 11 podcast. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? Doing great. We're really excited to talk about your new book, Higher Self Now, Accelerating Your Spiritual Evolution. Yeah, so, so it's been uh, it's a labor of love for the last two years, so it's, it's taken a while. <laughs> yeah, and I see that, you know, uh, with people who aren't familiar with this new book yet, or maybe they haven't seen it, you also co-wrote it with your wife. Yes, uh, my wife is an end-of-life doula and hospice uh, volunteer, and um, the second part of the book was written from that perspective, from a very practical standpoint of what we can do to uh, when we're next to, when we're with someone who is dying, what can we do to assist them? And uh, it's quite detailed in uh, directions and uh, just advice and what can be from a practical standpoint, what can be done to assist someone that's in transition? Yeah, this this is a great book. I mean, you know, like many of your other books, too, I know that you have kind of said in the past that there's really no training manual out there for these things, for out-of-body experiences, for end-of-life. And, you know, when you talk about the practicality of just things to do, especially in the second part of your book about, um, you know, how to help the person that is grieving and, and all of that. It's, it's great. It's, I feel like it's every question that anybody would ever have about, well, what do I do? What do I say? How do I plan? How do I prepare for death? You know, how do I make this experience better if their loved ones going through it? I mean, it's, it's excellent. Um, so I'd like you to let our listeners know, how did the idea of this book come into fruition? Well, it was, uh, it was a good question. Um, well, number one, my interest in the afterlife began when, of course, as you know, I had stage four cancer, and that shifted my attention more from uh, out-of-body experiences to uh, what people experience in the afterlife. What's the transition all about? And my wife, for uh, several years now, has been an end-of-life doula. So our our mutual interest really created this uh, concept of the book, where um, I, in the first part, talk about uh, the more of the metaphysical aspects. And in the second part of the book, my wife, as a professional in that in the end of life care, talks about the practical aspects. It came to uh, really, especially when my wife's mother recently died, and um, we realized it was so clear to us that there was absolutely, there's so little information given out there to assist those that are dealing with the transition of a loved one. It's really quite sad in our society that there is no guidance provided uh, that is uh, that specific guidance. Uh, I noticed this when, uh, especially when I visited on several occasions, not only my wife's mother, but others, there was more attention given to the flowers than there are to the state of consciousness of the individual that's, that's dying. It's like people are uncomfortable with the entire situation and they don't know what to say or do. 
So we decided there was a need for a, a manual, so to speak, to assist others. Great. And um, I also have to, before we get into the book too, I'd like to ask you a question um, from our previous podcast that we did way back when we first started this. A lot of people on our YouTube channel have have been asking the question, they posed the question, and they're very curious to know that with all of your experience in out-of-body travel and then you were diagnosed with the stage four cancer, some people have been asking, how come Bill chose to also use Western medicine? in your healing. Like it almost seems like some people were expecting you to maybe fly out of body, use your astral projection, um, you know, experience and kind of heal the body all on its own miraculously. So I wanted to just ask that question, um, and pose that to you because we've, I've seen that repeatedly come up in our YouTube, uh, podcast there when people can make comments on it. Well, I, I understand where the question comes from, but I think people don't know exactly how my, number one, this occurred very rapidly. I was actually doing, um, I went from no knowledge of stage four cancer to suddenly having a four centimeter tumor in my neck. And um, when I went to, we had the diagnosis, um, it was, uh, to be quite frank, it's it's quite scary. Um, and I was told very bluntly by the doctor, this is, by the way, this is after two misdiagnoses. I didn't mm -hmm. think I had a problem. I thought I had an infected uh, lymph node. So uh, the point is, I thought it was a minor thing initially. And then I was told quite bluntly that um, I needed to make a decision within 10 days. And... Um, I know people think that you can, a lot of people feel that all things can be miraculously healed. Uh, but I had to make a quick decision uh, because I, I felt like I had to take advantage of every opportunity that was available to me to provide healing. And it, it was a tough call, but I decided to do the conventional. And I also had... I feel I recovered very quickly, by the way. Uh, I was back doing workshops. I had a neck dissection done, which is very serious surgery. And, but I, it, again, I had a 10-day decision window, and I decided to just have the tumor removed. Um, the idea that you can always heal everything instantaneously uh, is I think that depends upon the individual. I think we're given diseases for a specific reason, for a learning opportunity. And in retrospect, this whole process of me having um, cancer shifted me into a whole nother situation where now I've written two books about it. If it wasn't for the cancer initially, I would have never written the last two books, which is Adventure in the Afterlife and now Higher Self Now. And I think you have to look at, uh, to at least I did, I had a very practical view, view of what my options were. And when you have a four centimeter tumor, and this, uh, I just thought I needed to take immediate action and get it removed, which is exactly what I did. 
And in retrospect, I think I made the right call because five years later, I'm still here. So I, I think if it was a minor thing, I would if it would have been less severe, let's say, I would have probably tried a more natural approach. But considering the severity of this, I started out at stage four. I didn't think I had time to uh, to mess around. So I took I took the conventional, but I also used Reiki. I also used uh, acupuncture. I used a lot of modalities, and I I also had I asked for healing during the out of body state, which I think allowed me to recover very quickly. And I write about this in Adventures in the Afterlife, the the cube that Frank is in, the mm -hmm. ten meter square cube that has segmented walls. It's all white. That actually happened to me. So I feel that I did receive healing from the out-of-body state, but it was in, after my surgery. So I recovered extremely quickly and was back to doing six-day workshops within, I believe it was four or five months. Wow. Well, great. Thanks for sharing that, because I think a lot of people have been curious and uh, will appreciate uh, your journey with that. And like you say in the book, Higher Self Now, it's, you know, when we're going through life, it's really trying to look at everything that happens to us as lessons and what can we learn from it. And you have a great section in the book there about, you know, just trying to make more of an understanding of what's happening in our lives. And like you said, if this didn't happen, you wouldn't have written these two books. You probably wouldn't be teaching this whole new course at the Monroe Institute and, uh, you know, develop the affirmation CDs with the hemi-sync that, that you have out now. So, um, but I'd like to get into the book a little bit. And for those of you who are listening, it is broken up into two parts. And I know we're not going to get through everything today. Um, but the part one of the book is about awakening to the infinite journey of the soul. And like William had said in part two, it's approaching death with wisdom and grace. And one of the things that I really loved in the first couple of chapters, when you're talking about recognizing your physical anchors and becoming aware of our energy attachments, um, I'd like you to, to start there. And that is actually where you started in the book. But I feel like that that is so important if people are going to be moving more towards their higher self and understanding that they are more than their physical bodies. So I was wondering if you can take our listeners through that. Yes. So, um, based on my 41 years of having not only out-of-body experiences, but just observing, um, it's become clear to me that there's no external thing that limits us. We limit ourselves by our own attachments. And people don't, the average person, matter of fact, most of us, we don't want to confront our own stuff that we carry because it's become comfortable. For instance, people have attachments they're not even aware of and I, I talk about this in some of my talks at the Monroe Institute, that we, we feel that we, the average person actually has bought into the concept that they're a biological being and their self-identity is totally locked in this idea, I'm a human being, I'm a being of matter, I'm a, I'm, my gender is male or female. They uh, wrap themselves in a, the flag of a nation and then they become, they're attached to all this stuff. And one of the beauties of out-of-body experiences is that you begin immediately to perceive yourself as a non-physical being. And it's no longer a theory. It's, it's reality. 
uh, you you know it. One of the most shocking things that I have learned that just have always stuck with me from the very beginning of my OBEs is that not only am I not a physical being, but I'm not a humanoid. And when I prolong my out-of-body experiences, I would lose my humanoid shape every single time. My arms and legs would dissolve away. And I'm not the only one who talks about this. And I become a, a, a point of consciousness with 360-degree vision eventually if I, when I prolong my OBEs. In other words, we have attachments that go far beyond this idea of addictions, and it goes to the very heart of who we think we are. As long as we perceive ourselves as a biological animal, and we continue to do this even after death, because our self-identity is so ingrained, how can we ever enter the higher vibrational realities Call it what you will, heaven. What, uh, it doesn't matter what the verbiage is. How can you enter the higher vibrational realities as long as you, your self-identity is locked into a biological animal form? And this is what I observed in 40 years. The, the astral plane is absolutely packed with billions and billions of beings that think they're in heaven or think they're in the ultimate afterlife, whatever you want to call it. And they're actually in a mundane reflection of Earth. But they it's a consensus reality. Everybody around them thinks it's heaven. Compared to the physical world, it's so much nicer. There's no disease. There's no starvation. None of the ills of the physical world are present. But most, even the dead don't know that the universe is vast and it's made up of countless realities and dimensions. And they lock themselves in into these humanoid heavens that are actually very restrictive. And they don't understand it because they haven't explored beyond it. They surround themselves with those who believe the same as they do. And it's a very limited existence. So that's what I mean by attachments, to cut to the core. And now, this I, in the book, I go into much more detail about all the various things, but I wanted to address what I think is the core issue, and that is our attachment to this biological humanoid form that limits us in the afterlife. And this is something that I have not seen addressed elsewhere. People don't talk about this. Everybody thinks magically they go to some pristine heaven. And, and that's all there is. What's what people, I think, don't truly understand today is that there's millions of heavens. And they're all created by the consensus thoughts of the collective group that inhabits that reality. And each one has created its own limitations. And, and that is what we need to awaken to that we have the capability to go beyond what Bob Monroe used to call the belief territories. We have this capability, and we have to empower ourselves through knowledge and through our own inner explorations of consciousness. And this is what the core is, I think, of the book, is to train people how to go beyond the old 
beliefs that we cling to that limit us in the afterlife. It's so important that we open up to a broader, more empowered perspective of ourselves. Yeah, and reading in reading your book, one of the things that really impacted me the most is kind of how you you talk a lot about cleaning up your emotional frequency, and you know that at the time of death, whatever it is that you're experiencing, whatever your thoughts are, the emotions are that you carry that with you into the afterlife. So it kind of inspires me to say, all right, April, you better clean up your stuff now because you know when I transition, I'd like to be more at the kind of the higher vibrational energy frequency. And you give a really nice chart. Um, it says our state of consciousness and our emotional frequency will influence the reality experienced in the afterlife. And you kind of give this whole emotional state at death, what the energy frequency is, and then what the potential afterlife environment is like. Um, and so that, that's pretty inspiring. It really kind of makes you sit and do a self inventory of, you know, what are my attachments still? What, what's going on with my anger, my jealousy, my grief, uh, the shame, who haven't I forgiven? And you talk a lot about how important that is to work through that while, while we're here before we transition. Oh, absolutely. There's so many issues um, that, that we, we carry. And it's so important that we clean up our own state of consciousness as much as possible. There's nothing new about this. I mean, this is a Buddha has said this. This has been said throughout the ages. But people don't seem to do it. We need to really take a, a hard look at ourselves objectively about what, what fears do you hold? Because they continue. Our entire state of consciousness continues after death. We're not, we, we don't become little angels at death. Everything goes with us, our fears, our hatreds, our, uh, even if you're a bigot, you continue to be a bigot. In other words, everything goes. And that's what people don't seem to understand. That's why it's so important that we clean up our act and really do a self-analysis so we will know so that we have a cleaner, higher vibration at the moment of transition. And I think this is critically important uh, for the preparation. It's, in other words, that's what meditation is really. That's one of the advantages of meditation. And it's not, it's not about OBEs. It's about doing a self-analysis and starting to work on yourself so that we are prepared for an, what I call an enlightened transition at death. So we don't enter into these very cloistered consensus or belief territories, that we go to a higher vibrational level. Uh, and this is all about what we do. Then that's what I think I tried to get across in the book, is that we have the power to change ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And another chapter that really impacted me quite a bit and has left me thinking for days is uh, in chapter eight, Achieving Escape Velocity. And um, I thought it was really interesting where you said reincarnation is a choice, it's not mandatory, and that we're not forced to re-enter Earth, 
but it's based on, you know, our free will and it's our decision. But you also talked about some primary anchors that keep people returning to earth. Um, and there, there were nine things that you had mentioned. Some, I won't mention all of them, but some of them were, you know, the attachments to the physical world, addictions, um, emotional attachments that we might have, lack of self-awareness and boredom. Um, I, I like that part where you said that sometimes with boredom, boredom, there's this driving need to relive intense stimulation and visiting the physical world and what the physical world can provide. But um, and I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the escape velocity. And you also mentioned Robert Monroe in there because I found it fascinating to think that, wow, okay, maybe I do have a choice. I don't have to reincarnate, but if I work on my myself, that maybe I can transcend even further beyond in the astral plane. And eventually, maybe one day, if I so choose, and as you said, there's no such thing as time, but may even be able to work on my frequency to actually become one of those angels or spirit guides that, you know, us as healers, we talk about and that we can feel around us. So um, can you talk about more about what the escape velocity is? Yes. Um, Bob Monroe, of course, was the one who first used the term. And I love the term because I think it's very uh, fitting. Uh, people settle. They settle in their physical lives and they settle in the afterlife for things that are comfortable um, and, let's just say, familiar to them. That's really a core issue here. Escape velocity is really the same thing that the Buddhists have been talking about for 1,400 years, and that is the concept of liberation from the wheel or from reincarnation. Now, I, I try to, I just try to demystify this topic as much as I could. I feel that we have the power within us to do this now because, like I said, reincarnation is not forced on anyone. There's nobody with an astral gun telling you, oh, you get in that body. <laughs> People make a choice. The problem is they're so conditioned and programmed and attached to the physical. They want to re-experience what Bob Monroe called the and another analogy he uses is this idea of an amusement ride. And the earth is an exciting amusement ride. It's very intense. And, and we, of course, in the process, while we're here, we're thinking, oh, well, everybody says, well, I'm never going to reincarnate. But after death, you look back on your life and it's going to seem like the blink of an eye. And it's going to people will remember the, all the intense fun parts. And that has a tendency to draw people back to un especially unfinished business, for instance. Everybody probably on some level feels that there's something they didn't complete. And that has a tendency to draw people back into the reincarnation process. But when we work on ourselves, when we raise our vibrational rate, when we resolve the issues that we're dealing with here and now, we can bypass that. We can make this incarnation our last one if that is our goal and we're really working towards it. There is no need uh, for it. The whole idea of liberation or escape velocity is that we have the power, we're self-empowered, and that we no longer need to be part of a system that that is that we're conditioned to feel is necessary for our education. 
that there's other ways to educate ourselves in this multidimensional universe we live within. There's many different ways to learn and grow and to flourish spiritually. We, and the more that we're aware of the choices that we have, the more knowledgeable we're, we are of ourselves and our multidimensional reality we dwell within, the more that we can make an intelligent decision about what's our next step. And that's what I tried to present, is that there are options, many different options, endless options because of the vastness of the universe that we dwell within. And this opens up new doors, and I think that is so important, that people are given more knowledge and opportunities and options uh, so that in the afterlife, they, they will make the best decision possible. Yeah, and you also mentioned uh, along those lines where you were saying, uh, the way that I was interpreting it, it was like, okay, here I am in the physical, I'm reading William's book, and there was a section in there where you basically said, you know, when you kind of make that transition and say you enter into your heaven during that process, to kind of like wake up and be aware that you can also move on from there. You don't have to stay there. So it's also felt like to me like waking up in the transition and also once you're out of the body, knowing that you can explore even further, that that's not a place that you have to stay or to be attached to if you, if you oh, enter there. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, uh, we death itself is, is either a launch pad of consciousness or it's just another mundane step to another reality. We decide, and I, I'm not the, you know, this is not the first time this has been said, uh, but we have the capacity to launch ourselves just like we do in an out-of-body experience. We have the capacity to take an out-of-body experience and turn it into a transcendental awakening experience. Or it can be a very mundane experience where you're just walking around your bedroom or living room. It's re-experiencing uh, the, uh, the simulation, essentially, of the physical world. In other words, we are the ones who determine that. We can, we can, death itself, not only is it a launch pad of consciousness, if we choose to make it so, but after death, we can continue our journey of consciousness. And that's what I wanted to make clear. We can continue to transcend even the astral and move beyond it to the higher dimensional realities. There are schools on the astral that will teach this, of course, but we have the capacity with knowledge to move beyond any singular reality and to become multidimensional beings. Matter of fact, I strongly feel that is where, where we're all headed. We are headed towards multidimensional total consciousness, where we have the freedom and capacity to experience all dimensional realities. That's what we're headed towards, where we become what many people in the past might call angels, where we have that ability. We're no longer locked within a single or, or, or a reality, whether it be physical or non-physical, but we become our true essence of ourselves, which are multidimensional beings. 
And that's what I feel is so important that we awaken to. And we awaken to the fact that the universe is a multidimensional continuum. And that the physical world is just a, just a tiny sliver of reality of this epidermis layer of the universe. And people related this in their near-death experiences, their neuro-OBE experiences. But it's so important that we become, let's just say, knowledgeable and become skillful to some degree in our ability to experience true freedom in the afterlife. Yeah. And what I love about this book, too, it's that, you know, you're also giving people permission and challenging them to talk about death, um, you know, to and actually create a plan and be aware of it. And you have this great soundbite. Well, I, well, it's a sentence. I'll call it a soundbite. So I'd like to read it out loud, which is so true. And you say in your book, people don't want to talk about death in general, much less their own. But this failure to communicate about the most guaranteed event in human life can lead to misunderstanding and regret. And it's so true. I mean, this is guaranteed. We are all going to die. And yet, nobody's planning for it. Nobody's talking about it. And in your book, you know, that's one of the things that you're really providing people to think about. Um, you also have a part in here where it's about creating your own enlightened transition and actually creating a written plan for your death. So can you talk about that? Oh, I feel that's the cornerstone of the book. It's very important. I feel that it's so important that we plan our our own transition or death, that we take control of it, that we create allies. The first thing is to create a written plan. What do you want to occur when you're on your deathbed? Who do you want around you? What kind of, be specific, what kind of affirmations do you want playing in the background? What kind of mindset do you want to be surrounded by? What kind of uh, inspirational art even do you want to be surrounded by? Create your own spiritual directive. I go into detail about how to do this in the book, about even how to create your own affirmation CD. Uh, Just like people forget that in many, many cultures in the past, For instance, and I'll use Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism as an example. When someone died, a lama would sit next to the dying person and they would chant, go to the clear light of the void, go to the clear light of the void, go to your Buddha nature, which in our terminology, in my terminology, would mean your higher self. We've lost this. Now, death is considered a mysterious fear-based event. People don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. They pretend it's not going to happen. We need to change that. We, we plan every meal, for God's sake. We plan every little aspect of our lives. And death is one of the most, if not the most, pivotal point of transition we will ever experience in this lifetime. And it's up to us to turn it into an enlightened transition through our own actions What I recommend doing is that people create their own CD of affirmations. Make it individual. I've created one that I I have available through Monroe products called Destination Higher Self. But create your own with your own affirmations. Whatever, what is your highest aspiration at death? 
and put that down and then you could play that by your bedside. You could put beautiful music with it. You could have a friend make it for you if you're not capable of doing it. Nowadays, it's easy to create uh, MP3s on any computer or any laptop. And, and surround yourself with your own intention, whatever that may be. For me, it would be higher self now. And play that. You can do this in any hospice. You can do this in any anywhere. It's allowed. 24 hours a day on auto-repeat. Surround yourself with these positive affirmations to help you, to direct you, to go to your highest state of consciousness that you're capable of achieving at death. This is important. This is what the Buddhists have been doing and other cultures for many, many years. This is, this is what the Pawa is about, the, the transference of consciousness at death that the Buddhists have practiced for over a thousand years. They believe liberation, by the way, from the reincarnation is available at the moment of death. And I agree with that. If we would do the proper, have the right mindset, no longer allow ourselves to be limited by these flawed belief systems that have uh, curtailed our, let's just say, our vision of ourselves and our spiritual direction. We have the ability to create our own spiritual directive, and I provide detailed instruction in the book on how to do this. And it's up to the individual. I'm not trying to micromanage or slant anybody in a specific way. I just provide the tools. Number one, you create an ally. Who is your? Who can you trust to follow your wishes when you're lying there uh, on your last moments? What can you do to provide the launch pad of your consciousness? That's what this is about. So that we're no longer... Just the, let's just say, limited by the consensus beliefs of our society and by fear-based and flawed concepts that now rule our uh, general consensus reality that surrounds us. We have the ability to break free from this matrix, really, of uh, denial because we have the ability to be self-empowered spiritually self-empowered. Yeah, and in the appendix, you uh, provide people a planning document uh, for the spiritual directive, and you also give, you know, questions and things that people can consider so you can give it to, you know, whoever it is that you do select to make sure that your wishes are carried out. And then you also have uh, another planning document in the appendix about if you should die suddenly and if you don't have time to say things and how you would like to be, um, you know, honored and, you know, what the memorial wishes are and things like that. And, you know, now's the time to do it when you are functioning, you, you know, your brain's working well, you can sit down and really think about what it is that you want. Um, so I think people are going to find that planning document very, very handy. Um, the other thing that I wanted to just kind of jump back to, to also let people know is that you have a, a pretty cool 21 day transformation challenge in kind of challenging people that if they want to kind of move a little bit more into their spiritual uh, awakening that you give them some tasks to do. And there's, you know, lots of 21 day challenges out there. And I think people love that. So I thought that was a really great thing to have in your book as well. Yes, I, I thought it was needed. That's, 
what the whole concept of the 21 day challenge was to get people to start working on themselves now. Mm -hmm. Don't wait until the last minute. Um, and this is what many people do. They, st they start to think about this concept of transition when they get the diagnosis of stage four cancer. And to be quite honest, like I did, mm -hmm. it's, it wasn't on my radar because you don't think about it. But that's when you start. But wouldn't it be great if right now we started to work on our own transitional plan and start to develop uh, and work on ourselves to get rid of the attachments. Basically, the 21-day uh, concept was to really do a self-examination and to cleanse your state of consciousness of all the junk that no longer serves us spiritually. It's that simple. Let's look at ourselves objectively and begin to work at what can I do today? What can I do now to make a positive change in my state of consciousness that I can be a better person and, a, and, and absolutely begin to cleanse my energy field of all the attachments, all the addictions that we hold? And it, it's, it's now's the time to do it. Yeah, so I'd like to move into part two of your book. We're probably moving into the second part of um, our interview here. And I'd like you to talk a little bit about what um, an end-of-life companion is, the doula, and the work that your wife has been doing. I have actually never really known that there were people out there that help with that. I'm familiar with hospice. I've had several family members, um, you know, pass through the hospice program, and that was very educational for me. I went on to become a hospice volunteer for a year or so um, after that, because it was just, I learned so much about death, and, you know, it was great. They kind of give you a little bit of a, of a manual, and some of the things that I read in the back were some things that I had known just educated through hospice, but I didn't know that there were such things as end-of-life companions or transition coach or an end-of-life coach. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, uh, end-of-life doula is someone trained to sit with someone and assist their transition. Um, and they, they, they actually, um, actually, my wife would be the perfect one to answer this. She's not here right now. Uh, but she, what they do is essentially guide the person to have and to the best of their ability to assist someone to let go of fear, to let go of especially fear of death, which is unfortunately so prevalent in our society. And because it's an individual process, um, on the flip side, they don't try to, um, let's just say, change anyone's beliefs. I want to make this clear. Um, they just assist in, in the, the clearing of the individual to the best of their ability. And I would say that probably fears and limits would be the thing, fear and then limits, uh, that they try to assist the person. In other words, they remind the individual that they're loved, that they're surrounded by love. That is a common phrase that I've, I've heard. In the book, I, uh, my wife goes into some extensive detail on what she does. And it's custom made for the individual. 
what my wife would do before she goes in, she finds out a little bit about the background of the individual. Because you don't interfere with their belief system. Uh, you don't you don't try to override anyone's beliefs. You go in and to assist them to basically surround themselves with love and to um, to guide them to what their perception of heaven would be for them, uh, whatever that may be, and to disconnect, hopefully, from any of the negative energies that they may have still, they may be still attached to, and uh, to to help them cleanse them, them energetically so that they can have their highest transition. And it's, uh, it's an art, for, it's, a, it's, an, it's an incredible art form that is really just beginning to take hold in the United States. Uh, in a way, it's what a concept that's been around for many, many, uh, for over a thousand years, practiced, for instance, by the Buddhists, uh, that where they do, they have tr their uh, lama will sit next to a dying person, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, this is more specific to the individual, though. And um, I, it just provides a loving environment for the person. And it, so many people in our society, they're uncomfortable being around the dying individuals, which is why more and more hospice facilities now are becoming so popular in America. And the doulas provide that opportunity to remove the, let's just say, the heavy emotional attachment of maybe, maybe the family members and provide a more neutral space for the individual to transition um, is maybe one way to place it. And so to surround them with love without attachment and provide a, a clearer path for the individual to have their and the 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 most enlightened transition that's available for their state of consciousness. Yeah, a section in uh, part two that I thought was really helpful because, like you said, people are uncomfortable around those who are dying. They may not know what to do to make it a better, um, you know, transition person. And you guys go into the top 10 conditions that impede a peaceful transition. And I thought that they were really good. And is it okay if I just uh, name a few of the top sure. 10 that you have? Okay. Um, one, and I know that I've heard too that our um, our sense of sound or hearing is the last, the last of our senses to go. So one of the things, um, that will impede it that you guys had mentioned was people talking about the patient as though they were not in the room, kind of having conversations as if they're already dead or that they can't hear you. And I thought that, that was, that was an important thing too. Um, there was one in here about feeding the terminal patient after the medical team has advised against it. Um, I know when my aunt last year was, um, passing away, we had hospice and, you know, she was very, very with it into the towards the end of her death. And, you know, my cousin and I were very interested in this topic and, you know, we're kind of asking her and we're like, well, what do you see? Where are you? You know, do you see grandma? Do you see this person? And she was kind of walking us through part of her process and actually saying, yep, things are getting closer now. I can see them. There's a lot more light. Um, and at one point she was asking for ice cream 
coffee ice cream. And we were like, you know, Didi, we can't, you know, the hospice said we can't feed you. And she came out with a funny comment. She says, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to die if I eat it. (laughs) So, um, you know, she had her sense of humor right up to the, to the end of death. But, you know, that's, that I found just personally was a hard thing because she was right. She had a good point. You know, we didn't give her the ice cream because we knew that we couldn't, and that was advised against, um, you know, kind of the protocol with hospice. But that can always be very hard when you're watching somebody die and they just want to drink a water, you know, and you can't give them the water and all you have is that sponge to kind of wet their lips and stuff like that. Um, And also there was another thing, keeping the TV or radio on for diversion. We had asked my aunt what she had wanted, and she said, I just want things to be really quiet right now. You know, we asked if she wanted some relaxing music, but, you know, just the silence was what was really bringing her um, some peace. And um, I also also found it interesting, one of the things, too, that you mentioned that can impede it is a a cluttered sacred space. And you talked about prior in the book, how important that is to kind of set up more of a sacred space to help the transition as well. So there's just some really great things here in this book, especially for people if they have never experienced anyone dying, or this is the first time that they're being approached with it. That I really think, um, especially in the second part, there's just great stuff in there that Susan has, you know, put in to really help and assist people who are, are watching this process happen. Yes, uh, one of the most um, prevalent ones is the one you mentioned first, and that is this: just they people have this tendency. I've witnessed this on many occasions. I, I witnessed it just recently uh, with uh, Susan's mother's uh, passing, and that is people come into the space, a hospice environment, or into a medical environment. It doesn't matter where it may be. And because the person is laying there um, with their eyes closed, everybody assumes they can't hear what's going on. And they talk about them like they're not there. And that is, to me, the most annoying thing I've witnessed. It's like, you know, they can hear. And I said this to somebody. I said, you know, she can hear every word you're saying. And people can be very insensitive. And this has been proven medically. I've had many doctors have uh, been in my workshops, and they said that they, they confirm it, that the, the hearing is the last sense to go, and that people, they do hear every word. So we have to be very conscious of exactly what is said and how it's said. And for God's sake, let's give some attention to the person in the room instead of the flowers and the environment. It, it's... It's like what I found on several occasions is that this whole idea that the visitors seem to spend more attention on the flowers than they do the dying person. You know, we can talk to the person that's dying. So I'm going to ask you the next question that we always get, too. You know, once you put out a new book or a new product, everyone is always saying, well, what's next? (laughs) What are you going to do now? And I know that this book has been doing excellent. The first round of copies is sold out. I know that you're waiting on some more. Um, So what's your what's your plan after this? Or are you just planning on, um, you know, going around doing interviews for Higher Self now? Or do you have something else in the works? Um, right now, um, my main thing is um, is just to um, take a little vacation. <laughs> uh, I have uh, one more. Uh, I have my OBE workshop coming up in 14 days. 
um, that I do my six-day workshop at the Monroe Institute, and that'll be my last one for this year. Um, other than that, I, I plan on uh, taking a little vacation because it's been a pretty busy year uh, without a vacation. Uh, the book took two. This uh, Higher Self Now took over two years to write, uh, and it's uh, it was quite an intense uh, a book to write because of the nature of the, the topic and all. So, uh, no, I plan on taking a, a little vacation. I don't have currently my plans now. I just signed up for six more workshops at the Monroe Institute. So I'll be doing four OBE workshops um, and two destination higher self workshops in 2017. Uh, and other than that, I don't have any other plans um, for another book right now. Well, and hopefully you won't have to get sick or anything else to be inspired <laughs> to write it. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, hopefully yeah. you've done the work there. Um, and can you just go into a little detail um, of what the Destination Higher Self workshop is at the Monroe Institute, because that kind of is a piggyback off of your book as well. And uh, you also have the CD set. So people who are reading this book may be interested in actually coming out and, you know, meeting you in person and taking the workshop. Oh, okay. Uh, yes, my, I, uh, I teach the uh, Destination Higher Self just a, uh, is a three-day workshop. It's an experiential workshop. It's held at the Monroe Institute. I'll be doing two of them. I teach the uh, metaphysical aspects of it, and my wife teaches the doula aspects of it. So it's an unusual, different workshop than I normally do. Um, it's quite extensive. Uh, we teach people how to essentially be a doula. That's what my wife provides, a detailed information and guidance on how to sit with someone and assist them. Um, we also, the whole idea is to help to assist ourselves and our loved ones how to have an enlightened transition, how to turn death into a launch pad of consciousness that can, let's just say, take us to a higher state of consciousness, to a higher reality potentially. Uh, it teaches, we teach how to create a sacred space to intensify our transition experience. Um, we, I, I teach, we practice certain forgiveness techniques and gratitude techniques. I go into real detail on how to navigate thought responsive environments, which the afterlife is, people forget. The afterlife is a thought responsive, multi-dimensional continuum. We have to learn the new rules of the road to be effective in that environment. It's totally different than the physical world. And it's time that we learn how to begin to function in that new environment. Because thought is the driving force. And we have to take control of our own thoughts and how to distinguish consensus realities from non-consensus realities. How to navigate uh, different environments. All of that we cover. Uh, how to release grief, for instance. Uh, and, but mostly how to control your state of consciousness and how to turn death into an enlightened transition instead of just a fearful event. And very specific guidance is provided, including how to, how to create your own spiritual directive uh, and how to fill. We provide everyone with a spiritual directive 
and how to fill it out, how to really give this some thought, create your allies, create a sacred space for yourself. It's very important so that it's like a meditative space many people have today, but have this for loved ones that are dying and for yourself so that you uh, can create this springboard uh, of consciousness for yourself or a loved one or a pet, by the way. We cover the same transition, the same kind of uh, procedures that work for people also are very beneficial for pets because they continue just like we do. They're, they're on their own evolutionary journey beyond the body, just like we are. So it's, we, we provide detailed training in how to have an enlightened transition in that course. Excellent. I think this work that you guys are doing is just so pivotal. Um, you know, out of body work is is great too. But like you said, I mean, none of us are getting out of here alive. This is guaranteed. You know, we are all going to transition. We are all going to die. And you know, I just love the fact that you're really initiating this talk into the Western culture and trying to really help us all get get prepared and just become more aware and and accepting that this is happening. So as always, Bill, it's such a pleasure to have you back on the podcast. Um, And if you're not planning on writing any more books, maybe we'll keep you busy. Maybe we'll do another documentary of you. Um, So it's kind of nice to know that maybe you don't have anything planned, but uh, maybe we can find something to to do again. And also wanted to thank you. It was really cool when I got to the end of the book that I saw that we were in the acknowledgments. So that was a first for me to be acknowledged in somebody's book. So that was cool. Um, Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate your guys' work getting this information out there. Yeah. All right. Well, you have yourself a great, great weekend, and uh, we hope to have you back on. Anytime you'd like to come on, you know, you're a welcome guest, and, uh, you know, good luck with Higher Self Now. And for those of you listening, remember that um, you can go to his website and purchase uh, the book. You have it on Amazon, right, and also uh, astralinfo.org. Yes, yes. Okay. It, it, it's sold out right now, but it should be available in about three days. Okay. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it, it, it'll be available in, uh, through Amazon in about three days. All right, great. And thanks so much for donating Adventures Beyond the Body. So we can go ahead and give some of those copies out for free to those of listeners maybe who aren't familiar with your work yet. My pleasure. All right, Bill. Well, take care, and thanks again for coming back on the show. Okay, thanks a lot, April. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye. If you'd like more information about our films or to purchase our DVDs, you can head on over to our website at thepastseries.com. They're also available to purchase on amazon.com. Our films are also streaming online at vimeo.com, guyamtv.com, and iTunes. If you have a show suggestion or would like us to interview someone specifically, please feel free to shoot us an email at info at thepastseries.com or send us a tweet at thepastseries. Please rate and review us in iTunes and subscribe. We hope you enjoyed the show.